Well, you know, some people say that Hollywood hasn't made a new story in years. They just keep replaying the same old story. And they just insert the newest, sexiest, hottest actor or actress. And you just keep, go- you just keep going to see the same thing, really, over and over and over again. At least one of those reoccurring stories, if that's true, is the romantic comedy. They have not made a new romantic comedy plotline, I don't think, since the very first romantic comedy. Just insert the new actress or actor, you know, Julia Roberts in the 80s, Meg Ryan in the 90s, Jennifer Aniston in the 2000s. Who's now? I just don't think we got good ones anymore, do we? <laughs> all of us, oh yeah, all of us 90 kids are like, there's nobody good. There's nobody good. <laughs> it's the same story, just different actresses, and we watch this relationship bumble along on the screen, and all of us, yes, even the guys too, because my husband loves how to lose a guy in 10 days. You can talk to him about that later. All of us. All of us have a piece in us that is just waiting to see if the couple is going to connect. And the story hooks us. It's this comedy of errors. I mean, sometimes they're in the right place, but their hearts just aren't in it. And and sometimes their hearts are connecting, but they're in like two different places. One's on one coast and one's on the other coast, and they can't connect. And the entire story, we just wait and wait to see, will they get together? And of course, at the end of the story, because they haven't written a new one, we'd all be pissed if they did. Uh, At the end of the story, they get together and Meg and Tom finally do get together and cue the music. And everybody feels good, even the guys. We can't help to watch that story. Even though we know it, even though we've seen it a hundred times, we can't help but show up and watch that story. And my hunch is because that story is the echo of a much older story. And you and I know that story. Not just because we've seen it on the screen, but because you and I have experienced it that much much older story, which is no less a romantic comedy in its own right. A story of connection and disconnection of which you and I are written into that script. That older story begins in the book of Genesis. We spoke a version of it this morning in our call to worship. In the beginning, our story says everything was in full connection and full unity. It's the first opening scene in the movie when the credits are still rolling and the music is still upbeat and everything is as it should be. Meg is opening her sweet little bookstore and she's just as happy as she could ever be. But not long into that story, oh, say about three chapters, a disconnection happens. A discord breaks in. As the story goes, you and I rebelled against God, rebelled against God's love. We went against the will of God. And from that point on, it's just been this comedy of errors. And what happens 
when the third chapter closes. At the end of the third chapter, our sentence is disconnection. Think back to the story. We eat the fruit. We go against the will of God. We find ourselves disconnected from each other. We're now wearing clothes. We find ourselves disconnected from creation. We have been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. We find ourselves disconnected from God. God, the living God, and death creeps into our lives. It's this romantic comedy of disconnection and the rest of the bible is just this long story of god trying to reconnect with humanity our story this morning is not a children's movie it's not animated or family friendly it's twisted it is a twisted rated r romantic comedy it's morbid Of course, we've got the children's stories about it and pictures and songs about Noah's Ark. We have them. It's the story of a creative God who made a world and pronounced it so good, fully connected. And yet in a few chapters, the world has gone from connected, from as it should be, to completely disconnected, not at all as it was intended to be. As the story reads, the living God saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil through and through. We were created to be creatures in the creator's world, and we had begun to make ourselves into little gods, acting as creators in our own lives. And God regretted that the world had ever been created utterly disconnected in anger and regret we hate this kind of god god made the rains fall and the waters to rise and the waves to beat this is why the story is traditionally read during the season of lent our 40-day time of honesty in the church it's the season when we confront our sin and confess our guilt, we have lived in such a way that the creator regrets having created us. And then the rain stops, and the waters reside, and all of heaven and earth, angels have their popcorn in hand, and they're watching the screen on the edge of their chair, waiting to see, are they going to get back together? That's the question that hangs in the balance. Connection or disconnection? For the rest of the story, like the romantic comedies of old, sometimes we find ourselves in the right place. But our hearts aren't right. Like when we followed Moses into the wilderness and watched God provide God told us where we would go, and we went exactly where God told us we would go, that promised land, that future land. But even in that place, we erected our own idols, became dissatisfied with manna, and God, you and your messengers aren't enough for us, and so you got to give us a king. Like the stories of when we would go to temple And we make our gifts with pomp and circumstance so that people would notice us. 
We're in the right place, but our hearts aren't right. There's also times when we're in the wrong place, but our hearts are exactly where they should be. Like the Psalms that David wrote saying that he yearns for God, but he can't find God. Like Job, I yearn for you and I can't find you, God. God's, their hearts are right, but they're not in the, the right place. This seems foreign. All of scripture is this long romantic comedy of us being disconnected and God seeking to reconnect with us. And all of heaven and earth, angels have their popcorn and wait to see, are they going to get back together? And so the question hangs in the balance for us. How do we stay connected? This is the question of all of scripture. Not only will we connect, will they connect, but how? How do we do this? How do we connect? And the answer is so simple and so complicated. Worship. Worship is the method by which we connect to the living God. And one of my deep beliefs is that humans have this innate desire deep in our bones to worship something, someone. We're going to worship something or someone. The question is, who or what are we worshiping? We have knit into our very beings this desire to lay ourselves down to something worthwhile and to do so with fervor and passion and deep understanding and I think, I think that the danger for us is not, is not what some people would say, a problem of the heart. Some people would say the issue, why we can't figure out how to worship well, is because our heart's not in it. Our heart is disconnected. My colleagues would say this, some of them. I don't think you'd be here today if you didn't desperately want con- to connect. You show up with a desire to connect to God. And then someone, like me, gets up here and says some things that sound strange. And later, will hold out bread and cup to you, and it's going to sound strange. And we're reading a book that's 2,000 years old. Why does it matter? How do I comprehend this? And when you ask me to pray, what the heck does that mean? And when you say we're the body of Christ, seriously, what does that mean? I don't think for us the disconnection and worship is with our hearts. I think it's with our heads. If worship is connecting to the living God, how do I do it? Imperative to knowing how to worship is knowing the creator, God, who sets everything into motion and keeps everything alive. You've probably misread the Bible. It's not your fault. We've translated it wrong so many times. We gave you Genesis 1, and we told you that what it said was, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, The verb is all wrong. It's all wrong. 
It's not when God created the heavens and the earth. It's when God began to create. God is still creating anew in your lives as well. God is still up to creation. That's why we as Methodists pray every morning, new every morning is your love, great God of light, and all day long you're working for good. This is why John Wesley called the church the connection place. Because that's what we do when we worship. We connect to the living God. And after a couple of thousand years or more of Christians doing this thing, and before that Jews, thousands of years of running into this creating and communing and connecting God, we started to pick up on a rhythm, a rhythm to how God creates. And you have that code right in front of you. Take it out. You have in front of you the secret code to how God creates. Our worship, our liturgy, the way we design services, everything we do here and in any church you walk into, did you know that it is patterned after the God of creation? The Bible has multiple creation stories, and this one right here is ours. When we gather for worship, we gather. At the beginning, we gather. You see what we do in this. Have you ever wondered why worship looks the way it is? Why the way it does? Have you ever wondered that? We gather. One of the first things we see God doing is gathering things together out of nothing. You have come from so many places, so many life experiences. We do not know where you have come from, and yet God gathers out of nothing God didn't just gather, Jesus gathered disciples too, right? So this continues, this same old story. And then we as a church, we gather anew. We gather here with gathering music and with calls to worship. And that's what it looks like to be a part of a God that gathers in creation. Then guess what God does next? God speaks. Have you heard any of the old creation stories of ancient gods, how, how did they cr- create? Some of them would, like, have sex with mortals. Some of them would start a war. And our God creates out of just speaking it. It's all God does, speaks, and something comes forth. It looks like, let there be land, and it was beautiful right? What does Jesus do in the New Testament then? Follows this same pattern that God set forth. Jesus says, hey, you want to be healed? Pick up your mat and follow me, speaks, and it happens. And so when we gather here, we have someone like Nate who gets up and proclaims the word. We speak God's word in worship, not just because that's what people have been doing forever, but because God did it first at the beginning of creation and Jesus continues that task. Then what do you see after that? What do we do to God's speaking? Anybody want to, what? We respond. God gathers things together. God speaks into it and he says, it's good. And then this good creation comes to life, and we do things like 
singing a song back to God in praise. We pray to God. We offer our gifts to God, our offerings to God, because we don't know anything else but to respond to this God who responded to us first. And then in here, what do we do? We move to this table. Because God never left creation alone. Thomas Jefferson was wrong. God tends intimately to creation over and over and over again. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't leave them on the boat by themselves. Jesus says, hey, come have breakfast with me. You're not alone. And so when we come to this table here, it's not purposeless. It's because the God of creation tended first, Jesus tended second, and we come here so that we might be tended to by God, nourished by God. And then finally, finally in your liturgy, you will see that we are sent forth. Because what did God do? He did not just create. He did not just create, but he set in motion this this future that was ever creating said, go out and multiply. What did Jesus say in Matthew's gospel? Jesus says, hey, go out into all the world and make disciples after this same God who sent out first. And so what do we say here in this space? We send you out with a mission. You don't turn it off when you leave here. You have a mission that you take into the world This is what it looks like to be a part of a creating God. And so this sermon series on Make the Bible Great Again is to take something that we all think is so disconnected. We've heard our scriptures read individually over and over and over again. And to say, guess what? Jesus didn't do it for no reason. Jesus is patterned after the God who sent Jesus into the world to be the embodiment of who God is. And Jesus sends us to do the same all of scripture and all of worship, God is continually creating anew. And so I ask you today, I ask you, who or what will you gather around this week? Because if this is our task, gather, speak, respond, tend to God's meal, and send forth, then the questions are for us. Before you turn on the radio, or listen to NPR, or CNN, or Fox News, what would you like to hear spoken into your life this week? Who are you responsive to? When you hear their voice, do you just jump at their command? Christians are those people who jump who respond to the command of God. How is God tending to your daily life? Are you able to give thanks for what is before you on your table? And finally, when you scatter, when you leave these doors, when you leave your home, your workplace, or school, are you clear about the mission God has given to you? This is God's task in creation. This is Jesus' task in the incarnation. And this is our daily task. And that is how you connect the beginning to the end in 15 minutes. (laughs) This is the first way 
the first way of remaining connected to Christ, abiding in God. And all of heaven and earth, all of heaven and earth, angels have their popcorn. They're watching on the edge of their seats, watching that screen, waiting to see, are they going to get back together? That's your question. As the band comes forward, 